The Moments That Make Us podcast is produced on Gadigal land, as well as other parts of Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, Women's Agenda acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and future, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Welcome to The Moments That Make Us, a brand new Women's Agenda podcast that explores those fork-in-the-road moments that change our lives. We'll be delving into the life-altering moments of some of Australia's most prominent women and hearing about the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm Shivani Gopal, the host of Moments That Make Us, a podcast series made possible thanks to the support of Stellar Insurance. In this episode, I'm joined by high school best friends turned business partners, Eloise Hall and Isabel Marshall. At just 17 and 18 years old, Eloise and Isabel co-founded a company aptly named Taboo. Why? It's a social enterprise selling period products with all company profits, education initiatives and advocacy efforts dedicated to eradicating period property through systematic and social change. Today, they'll be sharing where it all began, the nuances of their relationship as both friends and co-founders, and why their mission is at the heart of everything they do. Isabel and Eloise, welcome. I love what both of you are doing, bringing a taboo into the world. You sell period products and donate 100% of the net profits towards ending period poverty. So impactful and so much I want to cover there with you. But first, I want to start with the name. Taboo. I love that you've named your company a period product company, Taboo, because growing up for me, it certainly felt taboo to talk about my period. It felt like a shameful thing. And of course, I'm an Indian woman and in Indian culture, women can't even enter temples when they're on their period. So don't even get me started there. But even in today's modern day workplace, we're hiding our pads and our tampons up our sleeves and creeping into the bathroom like heaven forbid anyone know that we're actually on our period. So to me, it feels like you're reclaiming and renaming what it is to be taboo. So what were your taboo experiences with your period and how did those moments make you found your company? Firstly, thank you so much for having us. We're both very excited to be on this podcast. Um, We love Women's Agenda and very excited to be able to talk about periods for Women's Agenda. For me personally, I actually had very little shame and stigma around my period growing up. And I was very lucky because I I grew up in an environment, a context and a family that really didn't make me feel embarrassed about the natural process of my body which was really helpful and I was at a girls school and Eloise and I were at the same school and we had a really strong group of friends that were quite confident in what was going on but for me um when I discovered how periods affect the people around the world and that's a process that Eloise and I went through together discovering that it shocked me so much that something that never affected my education or potential for employment. I was working at the local Woolworths um, or, you know, engagement in my community. For me, that wasn't an issue and I was able to go through those processes okay. But for so many women around the world and people that menstruate around the world, that was certainly not the case. And so I think that's where my passion came from, uh, which is probably the unexpected angle, but just the sheer contrast between my experience and so many thousands of women around the world. 
Mm. You're definitely right, though. The name itself is quite tongue in cheek. We really wanted to make people say our brand name and then consider the word as it's used in our language. And then we associate it with period products. We do want people to really second guess why it is taboo. Um, And we pair it with some big, bright logos. Our marketing is certainly not Uh, It doesn't have any influence of shame or stigma. It's very much calling the experience for what it is. So, yeah, you're right. We really did want to reclaim that, like as you said, especially knowing that stigma itself is one of the largest fuels of period poverty in general. The fact that it's not an open discussion means that we have a lot more barriers in attaining a lot of the necessities we need to have period poverty removed so yeah we're kind of reclaiming that like a lot of minority groups have done in history they're reclaiming words that have typically been used as weapons against them and we're using it as literally our brand name (laughs) Mm, absolutely and I love how clear the both of you are on this right because it's not just about throwing money at the problem money is really really important you're certainly doing that donating 100% of your net profits to eradicating period poverty but it's also about how we think about our periods, how we communicate about our periods, and as you said, Eloise, about breaking down those barriers. Because even in in today's world, and Isabel, I'm I'm so glad to hear that you were brought up in you know, a wonderful family and you know in a schooling background where it was normative for you to speak about this stuff. But let's also go back and challenge our grocery stores, shall we? I'm I'm going to walk into Woolworths and Coles this afternoon to pick up some tampons, and I'm not going to go to the aisle that says period products. I'm going to go to an aisle that says feminine hygiene. What in the world does that mean? I mean, we certainly don't see butt hygiene in the toilet paper section, do we? (laughs) It is labelled very clearly that it is toilet paper. Let's just call it what it is. Break down those barriers, break down that stigma, or as the both of you genius women have come up with, break down that taboo. Well done you. Just love that. Let's have a talk about mixing business and friendship because there is a history here between the two of you, isn't there? You're not just co-founders who've come together and decided to build an incredible, impactful social enterprise. The both of you were actually friends first and you were high school friends first. Take us through that journey. We'll dive right into it. Yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> I think it's been nearly 10 years of friendship, mm-hmm. long time, Um And Taboo was developed while we were still in high school. So we were very impressionable, literally children. We had to wait for myself to turn 18, to become an adult, to register the company a while into designing it. So it has been a long time. And it's been a beautiful time. I think the wonderful, dynamic sense of being a human obviously means that it's never consistent and you're always growing and you're always changing. So not only have we developed a company that's changed and progressed along the way, but us as individuals have progressed so much as well. So, oh, wow, it's been hard, but I think a wonderful life journey that people probably take a long time to understand. Mm. We kind of had to compress a lot of learning into a few years of how to grow with and aside someone and while growing something that you're both heavily invested in. It's not an easy feat, but man, to learn the lessons we have so quickly, it's very valuable. Hmm. So we um, we met in year seven when I moved to the school that Eloise was at and we quickly became pretty firm friends. We're very similar in a lot of ways. We enjoyed a lot of the same activities, joined all the bands together, did all the extracurriculars together. Fun fact, we both played trombone in the, in the bands for like the good part of our high school life and we loved that. And we had so much fun together and had a very strong connection around a lot of the 
kind of leadership and also fundraising aspects of our school and the opportunities that we had there. So we were able to lead some fundraisers and I guess we sort of developed this love of project building together and also getting the whole community on board and working towards the same goal and with kind of a focus outside our very privileged lives at a private all girls school. And that was something that we really grew from together. And then when we got to year 11, uh, at the end of year 11, we were able to go to a leadership conference together at Bond University, and we were introduced to the social enterprise model, which is a, you know, we know it very well, Shivani, with your own social enterprise, but um, it's a way of doing business. Uh, It's pretty much taking advantage of the amazing prosperous markets we have in places like Australia and offering a product to that market or a service, and then translating a lot of those, well, it it's up to you, but a portion of those profits, a portion of those services themselves back into society or um, into social or environmental projects. And so what we loved about that was the sustainable way that it was tackling issues that we were really passionate about. And then once we started brainstorming how we could apply different products and different projects to that social enterprise structure and we pretty soon came to pads and tampons because we were customers of pads and tampons every single month and so we identified with that market then we started researching into the reality of what people do around the world when they can't afford those products that we were fortunate enough to afford. And I love that you're touching on this concept of of social enterprises and so for the benefit of our audience I just want to go into what a social enterprise is and you can cut this so many way. So I I think I might like to simplify it by saying it is a way to do business for good. And there are so many women out there, especially who would love to be in business, but to do it for good, to be profits with purpose or to create a business where you donate the profits. There, There are so many iterations of this, but certainly you were serving society at large by being in business. And I think that That notion, I hope, will empower and inspire so many more women to get into business, that it doesn't have to be this cutthroat, dog-eat-dog or self-serving world. It can be a serving world of others because that is what so many of us are motivated by. You've touched on a number of things. You've touched on some business lessons. You've touched on some of the things around friendship. I'll go with friendship first. Of course, the both of you are already firm friends, as, as you've said, so you, you've already, you know, had this beautiful base, but then you get into business together and there are so many businesses that break down because of co-founder differences. The, the two of you simply can't get along. We're constantly warned around this stuff that, you know, business and pleasure or business and friendship don't mix. And I would imagine that there would have been this new environment of forming, storming, norming, as they call it. What were some of the moments, let's get real here, what were some of those moments that nearly broke you? And then moments that made you the success story that you are together. Pretty early on, exactly as you said, we were told it is really difficult to do business with a friend. And we were 17, 18 at the time. We were naive to that. We were absolutely certain that our friendship was so much you know more than just a business and it is but you're so right it gets really hard because decisions are on the table and we're different people and that's one of the main lessons I mean I've had from this journey we started Taboo as very similar 
people from a very similar school background. We enjoyed very similar things and we were often kind of paired together. People were like, oh, Izzy and Eloise, Eloise and Izzy. And that was something that was a huge strength and it still is. But going into the adult world, even without the intensities and I guess the concentrated experiences of starting a business, this sort of time frame of life, 18 to now we're 23, is a huge learning curve for anyone. And we were able to do that alongside each other. But I guess the challenges is that we were not only doing it alongside each other, but the changes that we were going through personally affected each other because we were so, so intertwined into each other's lives. So there was a lot of learnings around open and honest communication, having to know when to talk as friends or talk as business partners and um, I guess delineating that, but then being empathetic to what the other person needs at that time, but also what the business needs. There was a lot of self-learning and learning about each other. (laughs) Yeah. I would maybe say if we didn't have a mission-based business, we would have probably given up on both our relationship and the I business. Agree. Because totally. I think the saving grace is that you can't give up when it's too hard because ultimately you both care about the mission and the reasons you're doing business more than, you know, the difficulties in front of you. So not only is this business our baby, but it's a baby that we really want to see thrive because we know that it's going to have such a huge effect on so many other people's lives. So you can't actually make that decision because it's inherently denying the opportunity you would give to other people by continuing the pursuit. And um, in that, you have to invest more energy into the company and you need to really make sure that things are in line and the ultimate intention is for the mission to succeed and for really to boost to change a lot of lives. But also in that you need to have a really good relationship with the person that is um, making those decisions with you or sitting on those boards and in those meetings. So you actually can't just neglect a friendship altogether. It needs to be constantly worked and like every relationship is in life, it's certainly more difficult than mm. most. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think that's so true, right? And that's the benefit of being a vision-led business because it means so much more than you. There are days that are so hard that I bet the both of you are thinking, gee, why did I do this again? Do I need to get out of bed today? Must I get out of bed today? It's going to be a tough one. And then you realize the people that you serve. And the wonderful thing about vision is it fills you up with hope, right? When things aren't going your way, you have hope. You have something that is is, is driving you forward and, and pushing you through that next continuum. And I loved what you said about, you know, not neglecting relationships because I can imagine being, you know, such a, a long-standing friendship since year seven. I mean, how wonderful is that? So many people, you know, graduation day in high school say, hey, we're, we're going to stay in touch. We're going to be lifelong friends, <laughs> yeah. you know. We're never going to forget you. And, of course, day one of university and you, you haven't caught up with them in, in God knows how long. But yeah. you kept that friendship going. I imagine it would be so easy to take for granted and to not neglect those relationships, that is such a fine balance. Let's talk about business because you said it's not an easy journey. Uh, I hear you, sister. It's not an easy journey. <laughs> and I almost think what you've got going for you or what you had going for you when you started, because you started as teenagers, was you probably had no idea how hard and how challenging it could be. And people were probably saying, hey, this is a tough road. But because you didn't have the context on that, you just dove in head first. And there's a little bit something about your story really reminds me of the thank you team story, you know, Dan Flynn, Justine Flynn and, and Jared Burns and how they created this incredible not-for-profit company, building it into, into what they've done. So 
knowing what you know now and, and through the hurdles that you've been through, you've been in business by, by the sounds of things almost six years. So going back, what would you tell yourselves as 17-year-olds as starting a business? What advice would you give to yourself? Um, I think when I think back to a lot of our early journeys, you're totally right. We had no idea what we were signing up for. And that's probably why it's gone so far, because we've just learned along the way and we haven't been paralyzed by information. We've just gone through each movement as it comes. And I wouldn't want to change that for anything. We've certainly not made you know, every decision we've made has been correct, but more so than not, we've really lent into other people's advice, which has led us to make more great decisions than bad ones, because often they were led by experts that were willing to give us their time and and expertise. And part of that as well was very much thanks to being vulnerable and openly naive. We were never going to kid ourselves that we knew what we needed to do. And yeah, that really led us to seeking out the right advice. And Finding that balance, which I think we did earlier on, was, you know, knowing where to ask, but also where to trust yourself. And often we just absorbed all of the information that was given to us. And then we would go and kind of boil it down and simmer out what we really actually wanted to take on board. So we were quite intentional about what advice we would trust, uh, but we were kind of chaotic in the advice that we would seek because it would be from anyone and everything. So almost the advice that I would give us would be to keep doing that and don't ever kid yourself that you know what you're doing because I think early on we both also realized that adults have no idea what they're doing and now we're adults we can say that Um, and you just you do learn along the motions but a lot of the time people are also you know the same questions are floating through their heads and we're human. We can't know it all. We can't be perfect. Mm. And I think if you lead with vulnerability and if you lead with humility and the human nature of making mistakes, then you attract the same kind of people. And our team is a huge testament to that. Everyone's really quite excited to learn as they're moving forward. And when you really understand your capacity to learn, I think you can really trust that you're a good leader and you're good at your job as well, because you're not pretending you're actually really authentically leaning into your gaps and um, Mm. strengths as well. Mm. Yeah. And when you ask the specific question, what would you tell your younger selves? I would very much strategically not tell them anything. I think like (laughs) the beauty of where we were at the time and the inexperience was that as Eloise so eloquently put, we were open to be vulnerable um, and we were seeking very consciously every different perspective. Whether we agreed with it or not, it was just absorbing information. And if anything, that probably the more kind of pertinent question for us at that time would be you know what would you want to hear from your future self like what's the future of taboo look like is this issue that's right in front of us right now a big deal or what's the best for taboo what's the best for the longevity of it what's the best for the integrity of it as well and coming at it from that perspective I'm proud of our little selves for just willing to be naive and learn on the go (laughs) Because that's tough stuff to do. (laughs) Sometimes it's easier to pretend. It is tough stuff to do and you should be proud of yourselves for going in head first because you know what? So many of us sit on the sidelines forever researching and thinking, should I, shouldn't I, second-guessing ourselves and maybe leaving our best business ideas languishing on a Google sheet somewhere Mm. in our hard drives. And I love that you've just gone in and said, you know what, we're just going to do it. So, So let's talk about advice. You really anchored into advice. And one of the things that tends to happen when we get, you know, advice from a lot of people is 
Some people give us really good advice and it's really practical and implementable and other people give us advice that isn't very helpful at all. How did you decipher what works for you? We were majorly dependent on our gut, which Mm. is such a subjective thing, but when you've got a mission-based business, it's probably the best indicator you have because you know what you want to achieve. And in that as well, it's really worthwhile not to be too specific because often the solutions you have in mind for some social issue aren't the solutions that are applicable for that group. So you need to be open with what those solutions look like. But if you want to improve people's lives in general, or you want to make use of your time in a specific way that helps other people, the advice that you're given really needs to feel that it serves that purpose. So feeling is really quite powerful and I'm very thankful for my family, especially my two sisters and my mum. They're very intuitive and have constantly drilled into me from when I was tiny, before I could probably even speak, to trust my gut and to really run with how you respond to things. Because your nervous system is like this crazy computer that picks up on so much. We really do need to trust it more. And And that decision-making process was so much easier because we were co-founders as well and we had... We had two guts to work with. So um, that meant, and because we were so, we knew what each other's motivations were. We started it together and and we developed that passion together. Um, And so we knew there were no hidden agendas. We knew that we were there for the same reason. And so when we were gathering all these different opinions and and perspectives and, um, and advice and some of them which were amazing, some that were not so amazing, and we were synthesizing it all together. Um, And then we were coming up with our own take on it um, and our own decision from all of that. We were able to fill each other with confidence, particularly when we were on the same page. You know, I think this, you think that, and ultimately it's, it lines up perfectly with the mission. And that was kind of the criteria of all the decisions. And that value statement, the mission statement, they were all very black and white ways to know whether we were on the right track or not. And speaking of tracks, the both of you run separate tracks over and above Taboo, don't you? So I want to focus on your individual lives as well. Isabel, tell us about what it is that you do outside of Taboo. Yeah, so um, I am a medical student. I'm in my fourth year this year. I deferred my first year of study to do Taboo in 2017 with Wees. We both did that. And we spent that full year just focused on starting building those foundations. Then we both started university. So I was doing my first year of med. Wees was doing first year of business and international relations at separate unis. And then went through first year, second year, third year, fourth year hit at the beginning of last year. Then it was the right time to step back from uni and come into the office because it was getting pretty chaotic. And um, then I've come back into it into study um, as of this year and stepped back from day-to-day management. So I'm focused on strategy and government, uh, government, governance. I'm not going anywhere near the government. (laughs) And it's great because you've clearly categorized your life and you figured out where you're going to specialize in the business as well as, as, uh, you know, pursuing your degree. And, you know, both are, you know, full-time, you know, all-consuming feats that, that you're clearly mastering and Eloise you're you're doing you know exactly the same thing in terms of running two different races tell us about your life outside of taboo yes so like Izzy said we both took a year off between study in 2017 um I quickly dived into the world of hospitality and I have been in hospital 
hospitality for five years and that was great alongside studying business and international relations as a combined full-time degree which has been so great I've learned so much and I've really loved it but certainly been a lot on on the plate especially the first I guess three years of study uh, working in hospitality as well and then last year when Izzy was named Young Australian of the Year things got chaotic as she mentioned and the first few months I was doing Taboo and uni and hospo and then thankfully we just made the decision of we actually need to bite the bullet and start paying ourselves and this is going to be our job for a while for the remainder of the year, remainder of the year. Meanwhile, I've still been studying. I did part-time last year and part-time this year and I'm really passionate about the social enterprise model and I found a lot of synergy in studying business and also studying international relations and how that how we can really apply this way of business and governance and policy in really ironing out a lot of the creases we have in our systems and making sure that people um, have opportunity to a more equal life. And yeah, I've really, really uh, found a lot of passion there. And now I'm in the office Mm -hmm. as well. (laughs) I love how so multi-passionate and multi-talented the both of you are and how the both of you have have seemed to master all of that together. Uh, A huge congratulations to you. We're talking about moments that make us, of course, in this podcast. I'd like to know from each of you one catalytic moment in your life that really changed everything for you. This is a really hard question. Um, I think the blindingly obvious moments obviously stick out, but it's probably for me the, the less obvious ones that I would say actually made taboo and made, you know, what with been able to spend our last five years doing. For me, um, there was a moment in Kenya when Eloise and I were there on a bit of a research trip for Taboo. Um, It was 2018, so we were fairly young. um, And just the experience in itself, the the whole experience um, was amazing and eye-opening. But there was one moment where we were speaking to a class of young students um, in rural Kenya um, and we were in front of this blackboard. It was an environment that was quite foreign to us and we'd been asked to teach the class how to use a pad and one of the um, young girls put their hand up and said a lot of them hadn't used a pad at all, hadn't seen a pad. Like we were kind of showing them a pad for the first time. She put up her hand and she said, I've got this other problem. I get really, really bad period pains. I have to walk home from school for three hours and my walk to school was three hours in the morning. And if it's getting dark at night, um, I often have to sit down by the side of the road because my pains are too bad. And, of course, on a rural road by the side of the road, it's not a safe space for a young woman it was probably that moment that I was fully shook to my core about the depth and the complexity of this issue we were quite young at the time and we saw period poverty we were learning more about period poverty but primarily you think of it as a lack of product and and perhaps a lack of education but this was so much more than that it was a lack of safety it meant a lack of the supports that she needed to get from one place to the other it has so many downstream effects you can only imagine how how that could turn into a terrible situation for that young girl and for that it was almost I would say it's more a moment that broke us and then made the passion for taboo for me anyway <laughs> yeah. we made it so worthwhile for you as well this is exactly why you're doing it I mean I mean certainly it's so hard to fix that macro safety issue 
but you're helping to make a difference through the funds that you donate. And that's huge. Mm-hmm. I would say randomly, I've just been pondering what my, my moment is. It would be actually the first really large protest I witnessed. And this is going to sound obscure, probably unexpected, but I did a Kentucky tour with my um, best mate, Lily. <laughs> Moments that made us. Yeah, <laughs> a Kentucky made me. Um, I'd saved up all my, all my pennies and we went and did Kentucky. And um, at the end, we traveled to Spain actually to see the manufacturer of Taboo's product. Anyway, we were in Barcelona and it was over this weekend where the whole of Catalonia went on strike. So this whole area of Spain was were in protest um, to become independent. And we were trying to travel around. And anyway, we, the buses were on strike. So we were walking through the city and we went onto this main road and there were hundreds of thousands of people on the street playing uh, brass instruments and singing and dancing and just moving through the whole city. And the energy that you absorb when you witness people singing and dancing and, and protesting with the same passion and message, it's the most overwhelming energy. And that's probably when I started becoming really interested and engaged with how whole people groups can make huge change and the power of the people, um, not to be too basic, is so potent. And it got me quite excited that we can actually change these systems that we feel so ripped off by. And we can really make the world a more equal place when democracy is in favour and everyone actually has a voice. And I think that moment, it was more of an introduction to what would then follow. And it was very much a moment where I was given a license of joining into the crowd, even though I had no context of this protest at all. Even at the time, I had to go research about what they were banging on about. But it was really quite powerful. I can actually see that powerful ripple effect play out through your life, Eloise, because when I was doing the research around speaking with the both of you, I mean, I was blown away every time, almost with every sentence, um, you know, reading about the both of you and, and of course, you know, Taboo. Um, But there's a great correlation there because I understand you actually got your start. I mean, obviously you support the community, you support the greater good, but that community and the power of the people gave you your start because you successfully raised, well, the both of you, $56,000 at the start of 2018 in order to get off the ground as well. So the power of the people, the power of community came back in a full circle Mm. in a very meaningful way in your lives. Hugely. And that was only a few months after um, my trip, actually. But definitely it was a um, reinforcement of the power and also having nearly $60,000 of other people's money is terrifying uh, because they've all expected you to, you know, continue what you, you've you said you would. And there wasn't any doubt in our minds that we we wouldn't put that money to, to the use of what we described it to be. But then you just realise, wow, all of these people are actually trusting us to lead this, mm-hmm. um, which is a beautiful, beautiful compliment and a very powerful statement that we didn't take lightheartedly and we never have. We always continuously think back to that crowdfunding campaign because I thought that's not our money. And mm-hmm. um, even though we're doing all of the groundwork and the the daily grind to, to make the company more money it's you know it was always founded on this mutual passion and investment that a lot of people had I think it was like 370 odd people supported that campaign and we'll be forever grateful last question 
So many women want to be in business. In fact, we recently did some research with our community at The Remarkable Woman and found out that 60% of women either want to move into a business or start up a side hustle. Um, It is such a huge passion and goal of ours, and yet we seem to not be doing it. What advice do you have for other women who want to get into business but are still sitting on the sidelines? I actually did um, yesterday, actually I had a class in managing diversity and it was all about gender equality. And there was three pieces of advice and I'm going to pinch it. And obviously it's not my advice. It was from the wonderful CEO of Facebook and I can't remember her name, but- Cheryl Sandberg. Yes. Oh, nice one. Um, So her advice, if we were allowed to echo other people's advice, because I just loved it. Her first piece of advice was to sit at the table and it was really in reference to the fact that you actually need to take a step forward and this isn't a quote of hers but almost act like a male would do in that scenario because um, research shows that men are very confident and they do just you know pretend they're probably more equipped than they are and women typically um, undervalue themselves so that was a really great piece of advice. It's so important to not forget how our home life and how our social interactions influence so heavily in the equality we see in the workplace because until we actually you know consider the shared responsibility of housework and child care we're not going to have the same opportunity and we're going to um really strain our relationships with our partners our children and, and whatnot until we're and it's so complex and the only way there is to really understand the social implications as well. It's also really disheartening that the correlation between success and likability is favoured in men. So it's considered a positive thing and it's disfavoured in women. And that actually makes me so angry because still we find a lot of security in feminist values, but when it comes to celebrating another woman's success, it's really not that common. And we really need to start viewing women's success in a positive light so that they they are considered likable as well. Um, I just thought it was so aggravating that you can't be successful and likable. And that's Mm. really just the the standard of our society now. And we really need to just scratch that. So it's not specific advice for one woman to go get it because I think every, every woman can go get it and just get it done. No one's incapable of that. But we actually just need to support each other and obviously men included as a society, we really need to redesign how we consider women's success because it's certainly not um, an easy path now and I don't think women can do any more. It's it's actually everyone else's responsibility as a social collective to redesign the pathway there. Mm. Yes, I love that. And um, <laughs> on, so again, I'm going to echo someone else's advice to me, but um, I think that's pretty much what advice is. It's learning from generations and passing it on. But um I was told by someone recently um, to consider my strengths and my weaknesses really, really objectively. Um, and often I think women in particular don't do that. But saying to yourself, what, what are you really good at? And being really honest with yourself and, um, and objective. I just like the word objective. Like it's, it's, you're not being subjective. You're not maybe good at this or maybe I'm okay at that or maybe I'm, well, I'm definitely not good at this, blah, blah, blah. Just what can you work on and what are you good at and what can you share with other people? Um, and for us in a taboo con- context, um, when I think about my strengths and my weaknesses, um, I can see that a lot of my weaknesses are some of Eloise's strengths and that actually makes for a really, really good team. We have differences and that's the whole point. And so when you can kind of, yeah, I guess see 
the skill sets that you need to bring on board, you can have a much more effective, effective growth of your business or your project. I love that. Thank you. So this podcast is called Moments That Make Us. And I like to end this podcast with moments that made me go, hmm. And there are a few insights that I got from this podcast that I, I would love to end with. Just a, just a couple to highlight. And that is business is hard. Always have a vision. It'll get you through. Nurture your relationships with your co-founder. Don't take them for granted. Don't neglect them. And always innovate because we don't know what it is that we're doing. Adults don't know what they're doing, but they're going to do it anyway. So dive in head first. Isabel and Eloise, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for coming on to this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us.